It's good, everybody. This acts. More reading out loud. We're going to do the uh, continuation here of the About the Author in a second. We sure are. long so prepare yourself for that also been I mean I'm always it's it's weird and I probably shouldn't say always but I'm under the weather mentally and emotionally quite often while I heal just letting go of a lot of stuff um, so I'm gonna do my best to stay as upbeat as possible with this um, but there is absolutely no guarantees on how this is going to go. I just, I feel like no matter what, I need to just start getting stuff done. Even if in the back of my head it still feels like it doesn't matter. It, you know, I'm still here, I'm still alive, I still have a heartbeat, I still have, I'm still doing things, so I might as well participate while I'm here. So, here we go. About the author... Part 2 for the book We Exist by Michael Stevens, which is me. But for this, I'm going to go by the name X. E-X. And that's about it. So, a new world on the horizon. For the most part, anyone that knows me knows that I have an unorthodox way of thinking. And while it sometimes acts as a curse, often keeping me from connecting with others, save a few, I've also grown to love and appreciate it for the blessing that it is. You see, while most people see the world from one or two perspectives, I'm able to see the world from numerous. This is unfortunately both a blessing and a curse, as it rarely allows me to settle on one definitive answer. Of course, it wasn't always this way. For the most part, it wasn't until I embraced this unorthodox way of thinking that an entirely new world showed up. One um, of unlimited, yet sometimes difficult to comprehend possibilities. Of course, while change is always good, be it of positive or negative means, this new world would once again alienate me from those I'm close to. And while it may seem like it was my choice to venture off into this new world, leaving most of the people I love behind, at least mentally, looking back at my journey, it almost seems like it was inevitable, as if it were written in the stars, which is how I often receive my lessons. However, this time it was different. Instead of talking to the moon and the stars, I began to receive lessons through words as I was writing. And while it may seem strange to receive lessons this way, it doesn't follow, as it doesn't follow our traditional ways of, um, of learning or thinking, it would be through these lessons by way of my writing that my belief system would completely or be completely altered possibly forever. Lessons for life. However, that's not where this journey begins. You see, it would be with my first chapter of my forthcoming book, We Exist, that I would encounter my first of many big lessons about the above and the beyond. And while writing 
the chapter in question titled Of Cycles and Stages um, may have come effortlessly to me almost as if information flowed right through my veins and onto the computer screen the momentum eventually stopped and as frustrated as it made me no matter how hard I tried nothing would come out my writing had halted however as I struggled to write and rewrite the ending of the chapter I finally clued into what was going on I was being taught a lesson where it was coming from I have no clue and still don't but I was being taught something and I knew I had to listen eventually the lesson came through loud and clear no matter how difficult something is to finish um, is finish what you started this unfortunately is something I've struggled with my entire writing career as you'll soon find out of course this lesson goes further than my writing it also trickles into my personal life, which is something I'll say for another time, perhaps an autobiography. For the most part, the lesson learned from writing this, uh, the conclusion of that first chapter is that I have a problem with closure, be it with other human beings, moments in time, or completing a piece of work like the numerous screenplays, books, and articles I've started and have yet to finish. And while I can complete other pieces of work, as long as I'm being paid to do so, the real dif difficulty comes when the accountability falls directly on my shoulders. This is because instead of focusing on the task at hand, I fester and procrastinate and I write and I write, or I rewrite, I rewrite and I rewrite. Yet rarely do I ever type that one concluding peri period, the one that sends the readers off to the next chapter. Of course, all one has to do is look at my folders of unfinished articles, books, and screenplays to see that the struggle I have with closure and completion is real. And while this was probably clear as day for everyone else to see, it wasn't for me. At least not until writing the chapter on cycles and stages. In fact, now that I've been taught this lesson, I'm fully aware that if I don't finish whatever project I'm working on before starting a new one, I never will. I will just jump from project to project, basically creating a never-ending loop of unfinished documents, all screaming to be completed. Unfortunately, this cycle never truly ends and thus starts all over the moment I start a new project. Thus is the beauty of cycles and stages. Of course, the cycle of closure completion isn't solely reserved for the overall project itself, but can also be applied to smaller sections of the project, such as chapters. For example, there's often a point while writing a chapter that I hit a wall. This usually happens right before typing a conclusion. Of course, it's this simple act of nearing the end of anything I'm on. <laughs> Sorry. Um, of course, it's this simple act of nearing the end of anything I'm working on that triggers my issue of closure as, once again, I'm having to say goodbye to something I've gained a connection to. And while I know this issue is an illusion 
something I've made up in my mind, I've also learned that the only way to finish said chapter is to push through the stress of finishing said chapter. And while the cycle begins again with every new chapter or project I start, I've also found that each chapter has its own individual lesson to be learned, which is then carried forward to the next chapter slash project, and so on. Therefore, the moment I started writing chapter 2 of We Exist, I knew that another lesson wasn't too far behind. However, instead of it being about cycles and stages this time, it was about beliefs. One second. A belief in all being possible. Now, we all have our own beliefs, right? In fact, beliefs are something that are ingrained in us at a very young age. And while having beliefs may protect us from time to time, they can also get in the way. In general, they stop us from actually getting to know one another. Furthermore, they hinder us in our ability to truly learn something new as the key to learning anything new is to absorb the information from an objective or neutral point of view, thus um, without allowing our beliefs or perspectives to interfere. Of course, once we've absorbed said information fully, objectively, or from a neutral point of view, it is our choice whether or not we want to revert back to our old beliefs, or if desired, push forward and integrate what we've learned into something new. And while I wasn't able to cover my issues with closure in the cycle of, um, in the cycle on, or the chapter on cycles, it was next to impossible to write anything about beliefs without actually addressing the lesson I learned while writing the first page of said chapter. However, before getting to the lesson, it's important to address my process of writing. For, for starters, Unlike other writers, I rarely plot out my projects. And while outlines may work for some, they usually end up being a complete waste of time for me. This is because, at least in general, I often receive better ideas when writing out the actual piece. Unfortunately, these ideas are often better than the original um, unfortunately, because these ideas are often better than the original, they usually force me to abandon my outline altogether, which is why I see them as a complete waste of time. Furthermore, my process of writing is probably more difficult or different than most writers simply because I edit as I write. Instead of writing the first draft in full and then editing it as a second draft before finalizing it with a, uh, with a polish. Thus, the moment I type the last period of the chapter, it has already gone through its first and second draft and is ready for its final polish, all before being sent off to editing for grammar more than content. OCD, my obsessive controlling desire. Unfortunately, because I am consistently editing my work, I usually only produce one or two editing ready pages per day, if that. This, for the most part, is 
because of something I call my obsessive controlling desire, which is what I think OCD should actually stand for. To me, the phrase obsessive compulsive disorder is nothing more than a cute way of saying I have control issues. In fact, if those that suffer from OCD are usually, um, in fact, those that are suff that suffer from OCD are usually trying to control how they feel. That's why they lock their doors nine times before leaving the house, simply because the ninth time feels right. It's control, simple as that. Of course, we as a society do this with a lot of our quote-unquote mental health issues, such as ADHD, depression, eating disorders, and so on, simply because we aren't ready to deal with the truth that perhaps we are not in control of anything. For the most part, we dumb down these issues because we are too afraid to deal with them head on. We'd rather allow the ego to take control of our lives than train it to operate and function properly in society. The ego aside, the reason I think this way, at least about mental health issues, is that I am also a long-time sufferer, in quotes, of either depression, OCD, ADHD, anxiety attacks, etc. At least that's what my practitioner diagnosed me with. However, because I rarely allow authority figures to dominate my thoughts and processes, I made the choice of taking my mental health into my own hands. And while I'm not an expert on mental health issues, what I found was less than acceptable. And while I do cover this topic in the next volume, it's also important to note that some of our issues happens well before, during, and or just before our birth. Of course, because of how indoctrinated we are in society, about who we can trust at least, I don't expect anybody to accept the above statement without any sort of backup. Therefore, I ask you to wait patiently until the release of Volume 1 so that I can explain in greater detail. In the meantime, while I have found a way to deal with most of my own mental health issues, I still struggle with at least one, my obsessive controlling desires. It says disorder here, everybody that's reading along at home. That's supposed to be desire. Which often shows its face during my writing sessions. Everything must flow. You see, at least for the most part, in order for me to accept money for my work, be it from a product, these books, screenplays, or my time, said items need to be at a level of completion or perfection that I deem acceptable. However, in order for that to happen, a price needs to be paid. Unfortunately, this price cannot be paid in cash, but in sanity, which often leads me to the brink of insanity. Of insanity, is probably how I should say it. Of course, pursuing this level of completion is usually 100% my choice. However, because the material held within these books can be deemed controversial, it is my goal to limit the reason for anyone to stop reading them. For the most part, I'd hate for someone to put down this book 
or any other in this series simply because of an interruption in flow. And while content is always king, flow is defi definitely a close second, which is why it's important for me to have everything flow from one word into the next to sentences, paragraphs, pages, chapters, books, and so on. Thus, instead of writing five or six rough pages a day, I'd rather spend my time painstakingly going over each word, sentence, paragraph, page, chapter, book, and so on, just so you don't have an excuse to put it down. At least not when it comes to structure. Of course, if it offends you, I completely understand. However, if the latter is the case, perhaps it's also a sign that you keep reading. I don't know, just saying. As for flow, because it's so important to me, I often find it easier to correct it in the moment I go off course instead of writing an entire first draft only to cut a majority of it because it no longer works. However, because I rarely use outlines, I often start by writing the first few paragraphs from Stream of Consciousness. It is this technique, Stream of Consciousness, that helps me connect to whatever source of data I meant to record for that day. And while writing from stream of consciousness is often the best part of my day, I often stop myself short before getting too ahead and go over the paragraphs that I've just written. For the most part, it is this shift from stream of consciousness to editing mode that begins my descent into sanity, my desire for flow. From there, my time is spent adding and deleting words and sentences until each paragraph can be read without interruption. Unfortunately, it can also take an entire day of writing for me to be satisfied with the end product. Of course, by the time I move on to the next page, the previous work is already set for grammar editing. So it's not all bad news. And while the process can be quite infuriating at times, as I may spend an entire hour rewriting one sentence, the par and, and by the way, rewriting that sentence and then never using it. I may spend a day doing that. Uh, the payoff is actually quite amazing, as it often leads to some amazing discoveries. Case in point, it was during one of these shifts from stream of consciousness to editing that I learned a very powerful lesson. The lesson of all being possible. A chameleon. Oh my god. <sighs> a chameleon in the lounge. You see, because I rarely work, or because I rarely outline my work, I usually don't know what I'm about to write. However, after spending the first bit of my afternoon staring at a blank document, wondering how I was going to start this new chapter of mine, the connection finally kicked in and my stream of consciousness took over. And while some writers parrot old information from leading guru, spiritual gurus, I was led down a completely different path, one that reflected my own personal journey, a path that reminded me of when I was a child and wasn't sure of what to believe in. You see, back in my younger days, I spent time with Jehovah, hung, with, hung out with the spaghetti monster, as well as some New Age believers, and yet I still didn't have anything to call my own. This is because, for the most part, 
My life has been spent as a chameleon, soaking up the beliefs of others rather than being a lizard of my own kind. In fact, it wasn't until 2013 that I finally began to explore my own personal reality, the world within. Thankfully, it, wasn't with, it was within this new world that my first lesson about beliefs was taught, the lesson of being a copycat. Simply put, for the longest time, the only reason I shared the same belief with someone was to fit in with them. And while it failed to dawn on me at the time, a thought sparked within me years later. I'm not the only copycat in the world. There are billions of us out there copying other people's beliefs just to fit in. However, in coming to terms with my purpose on this planet, I've also been afforded the ability to see things from numerous perspectives. Because of this, I'm able to see beliefs for what they truly are. Yes. Oh, sorry. Illusions. Yes. Even the belief in all being possible. One second. Because of this, I'm able to see beliefs from, um, what, for what they truly are. Illusions, yes, even the belief in all being possible. And while this may not be the case for everyone, the reason beliefs exist in the first place is because they make us feel better about our current situation. You know, the one about being stuck on a planet without an ironclad explanation as to why. Therefore, we make excuses conjuring up reasons as to why we exist in the first place. Then, we sit back and let these excuses, beliefs, sink in. And because we desire an answer so badly, we cling to these beliefs as if they, as if they are what make us special. Sadly, because we don't completely understand how our brains work, we have little to no clue how these tiny thoughts charged with emotion can become so ingrained in our daily lives. But they do. What's worse, because we cling to them so tightly, we allow them to control us. Thus, instead of looking at it um, at a situation objectively, we look at it from our own limited perspective, one that is often tainted by our, our own personal beliefs. And while some may argue against the following statement, the main reason we fight on this planet isn't because of our differences, but because we believe our differences make us better than those around us. And while this may not be true for everybody, it hasn't stopped us as a civilization from staying in a perpetual state of war for the last 3,400 years, minus the 260 years of peace that have been sprinkled in between. Unfortunately, it seems like most people fail to understand the magnitude of the above statement, especially when discussing the topic of war. Perhaps this is because we, 
as a civilization fail to comprehend the damage that 3,100 years of war has done and continues to do to the human psyche. Perhaps this is also why most people allow the belief of it's always been this way to run their lives, considering it's the only example they have out of 3,400 years of recorded history of a functioning society. On top of that, something we fail to realize is that our history has been written by the winners of most major wars, and therefore is often slanted in their favor. This, of course, is done by design, as our history is often used in the same fashion as many other methods of control, keeping us confused, afraid, or ignorant towards what is actually going on. And while the following may be classified as a work of fiction, the, 1980, the 1949 novel 1984, written by George Orwell, showcases the dangers, at least of the common man, of what total control can do to a society. You see, in the novel Big Brother, the controlling organization controls everything, from monitoring its citizens to creating fake news stories, as well as rewriting their own history and so much more. This is all to keep their citizens under control. And while 1984 may be written as fiction, it absolutely parallels the world we live in today. Of course, most of this controlling, in quotes, happens behind the scenes. A change in the guard. However, the saddest part in all of this is that we refuse to acknowledge the fact that we as a society are under the control of someone else. In fact, it seems like most people would rather deny this as a possibility than accept it as a truth. And while most people think that everything is fine or normal, it isn't for the most part. It is our children that are suffering as they too are being indoctrinated to believe that things always um, things have always been this way or that nothing will ever change and while the following may be hard for some to accept this indoctrination process or process is propagated through our education system usually starting at the age of five when our children enter kindergarten and thus are ready to be taught Unfortunately, at least for most of our children, this process doesn't end until the age of 18, where they spend their time, 13 years in total, being controlled to believe that the current system of control is completely necessary. From there, graduated or not, they push into the they are pushed into the adult world where they are required to make their first big decision, sorry, their first real big decision, attend higher education or enter the rat race, both of which make them employees, slaves to somebody else's dream. Of course, because said indoctrination, most people are kept ignorant to the idea that there are more than two options for them to choose from. Unfortunately, because those highly, um, those highly effective 13 years of indoctrination most people are conditioned to believe that they must follow the system 
simply because it's the right thing to do. Thus, instead of fighting for their own personal freedoms, as well as the freedoms of others, they allow this belief to propagate the system, thus enslaving those that truly desire freedom, including myself, to those in control. Of course, it doesn't have to it doesn't have to be this way. However, because we as a society view the act of discussing personal beliefs as taboo, we often fail to realize that most of our our core beliefs, the ones we love to cling to, are often ingrained within us at a very young age. We usually um uh, young age, usually well before we enter high school. Unfortunately, what we often fail to realize is that these beliefs are usually planted within our psyches, either on purpose or by accident, by those we love and trust, parents, teachers, peers, etc. And thus, by the time we enter high school, the belief of nothing will ever change is often ingrained in our minds. This, for the most part, is the goal of formal education, at least in the West as it eradicates our imagination, thus leaving us susceptible to the guidance of those in control. Sadly, sorry, sadly it gets worse. You see, once the masses are controlled with a certain belief, it is then passed down to further generate or to future generations. Of course, this eventually leads to an entire new generation who, while lacking understanding as to why said beliefs exist, in the first place, propel it forward nonetheless. This, of course, continues until we, as a civilization, decide to stop it. However, as long as we remain in control of our own choices, we are then able to choose from whatever beliefs we want, thus creating a new cycle, one where we encourage our children and students to select whatever beliefs they want instead of pushing our own agendas on them. And while there are unlimited choices to select from, I'm of the opinion that we as a civilization adopt the belief of all being possible, at least for the time being, mainly because it allows us to remain open-minded all the while experimenting with the unlimited beliefs held within. Thus, by adopting the belief in all being possible, not only do we break the current cycle of control on the planet, but also allow ourselves plus future generations to explore beyond any limitations currently holding us back. Of course, in order to do this, we must, or we also have to practice being non-judgmental, within reason, as judgments often limit us on how we think and feel. Thus, or this, of course, is extremely important when exploring the vastness of the mind, as the mind deals in concepts often contradictory to what we currently know or believe. However, I am certain that with enough people and enough exploration, we could eventually map out the entire mind, or at least the areas we are meant to understand. This, of course, includes an overview of what is actually going on, both on this planet as well as above and beyond, both physically and mentally, and probably emotionally, 
Lastly, with the adoption of All Being Possible, we allow ourselves to create the reality we actually want to live in, instead of the current illusion that we are trapped in. Of course, because existence is cyclical in nature, there is a good chance that this new reality will once again evolve back into a system of control, where the few lead the many, basically putting us back to the same place we are today. Perhaps a little more evolved, that is, unless we learn from our mistakes. Basically putting us back. That is, unless we learn from our mistakes, and while it may seem like a lot of work, for nothing, it is possible that this cycle of control happens all the time, considering that Earth is roughly 4.5 billion years old, right? However, it is also possible that before any previous realities or civilizations were destroyed, either by nature themselves or others, other people, the first they first went paperless and thus left no real signs of their existence behind whatsoever. But what if it's possible that these ancient civilizations and what... Oh, hold on. But what if these civilizations... What if it's possible that these ancient civilizations existed. And what if the reason we lack documenta documentation required to prove this is that all of their records, because they were stored digitally, i.e. paperless, were destroyed during an EMP, electronic, electromagnetic blast. Now, I'm gonna stop for a second. What if they recorded them into trees, right? And it's up to us to find a way to extract that information. Just a thought. Um, and while it is next to impossible to prove that this actually happened or that any civilization existed 11,000 years ago, say, uh, Gobekli Tepe, it's def it definitely opens the door to discuss, to dis It definitely opens the doors to discuss Earth's unknown past. To me, this is one of the many benefits that comes from embracing the belief in all being possible, as it not only allows us to explore beyond conventional conditioned methods or conditioned methods of thinking, but also allows us to discover new theories about or new theories and possibilities about our, our existence. Of course, the key is to stay fluid and not get stuck on any one answer, which is the opposite of today's one correct answer society. Furthermore, this belief allows us to explore everything in general or a certain topic and see how it all connects, much like studying pieces of a puzzle and understanding their function both as individual pieces and pieces of a puzzle as a whole. I'm just going to see how much is left. Oh my goodness, yes. Thank you. Okay, almost done. A piece from everyone. 
Of course, the greatest puzzle of all time is the one that encompasses our entire existence as it includes everything from the tiniest of atoms to the grandest of stars as well as everything beyond the small speck of light and so much more. Additionally, it encompasses our own existence as well as the pieces that are hidden within our minds. Unfortunately, these hidden pieces can only be found within the unknown, the darkness, which first requires us to break free from our societal conditioning. However, once we are free, we can then equip ourselves with the belief of all being possible, as well as ignite our exploratory imaginations. From there, we are finally ready to venture off into the unknown illuminate our hidden pieces and hopefully come out relatively unscathed. And while venturing into the unknown may be terrifying for some, I'm extremely thankful for the opportunity to explore within it. You see, not only has it allowed me to accept my crazy side, but it has also helped me understand my purpose on this planet. Even more, by embracing the unknown, I've also found the confidence to release this book to the public as well as any book that follows, which I am absolutely grateful for. In the end, of course, my philosophy is simple, is simply that, a philosophy. And while I'd love, the, I'd love for the entire planet to embrace it, it, it all, sorry, embrace it, I also understand that it might not be for everyone. However, if you ever get tired of believing that you, uh, believing what you believe and want to try something new, I definitely recommend adopting the belief in all being possible. If you think about it, with unlimited possibilities, who knows where you could end up? If anything, it may help you find your true purpose on this planet, which is an amazing experience on its own. Trust me. Finally, if you do go down the route of all being possible and you want to share your experience with me, please see my contact information in the back. Or, right now, hit me up at We Are Existence on Twitter or Instagram or... Nah, I'm not going to give out my email address. So hit me up on one of those two places. I guess, no, you know what? Hit me up at mkstevens05 at gmail.com. If I need to change it, I change it. It's just an email address. Um, and with that said, I now say goodbye and thank you for reading this book. The first book of many. Well, it's the first in like a series of creative pursuits. Hopefully you enjoyed reading it as much as I enjoyed writing it. and Or I guess hopefully you enjoyed listening to it as much as I enjoyed reading it. All the best, Michael. Also, X. And that's it. Alright. So, this ain't no euphemism. I gotta go feed a bunny. There's a legit live animal down here. And I think he wants food or water or something. He 100% does not want to go back into his cage. I know that. Or pen or whatever you want to call it. But that's it. So thank you for listening. We will, uh, 
I'm going to get into acknowledgments tomorrow and then kick into the introduction, I guess, or I forget what I call it, but the introduction for We Exist. All right. Okay. That's about it. Peace out.